good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 17 is where we'll be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm really glad to be able to gather together and be in God's Word uh, together. If this is your first time with us, we've been in a sermon series in 2 Corinthians titled uh, Power and Weakness. Uh, we've been considering together what it means to be uh, in Christ, to serve Christ, and to uh, serve and live in, in His strength and in His power. Uh, in our passage this morning, uh, we, we see Paul uh, addressing uh, the notion of influence. Uh, Paul is, is acknowledging that to be in relationship means to be, uh, be influential uh, and to, to be influenced. Uh, and he's laying before us uh, an opportunity to, to possibly reframe uh, how and when and where we influence those, those around us. Uh, so if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 17. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the, the fragrance, the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, all of the glory belongs to you. For you deserve it. Oh, what a great privilege it is, the opportunity to bring glory to your name, and we cannot do that in and of ourselves. So Lord, I... I ask that as I would speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all know, know what Plato is? Let me see your hands. Plato, okay. All right. how, how many of y'all played with Plato or gave it to your kids? Let me see your hands again. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, it, Plato is, is a hallmark uh, for, for child play. Uh, I, I would argue that uh, every kid loves Plato if they get to encounter it. Now, if I were to ask you, what makes Plato so distinct? You, you, you might talk about it, its squishiness, you know, this amorphous blob of fun and creativity. Uh, you might talk about the, the vibrancy of the colors. Uh, but do you know that, uh, that Hasbro, uh, the, the multi-million dollar toy company and the creator of Plato, uh, 
Do you know what, what they would value as uh, the most uh, important distinction of Plato? It's smell. Uh, they, they put a lot of value. That's the most valuable distinction of Plato in their minds. Because the, the, the texture of the Plato it cracks and it's hardened and, uh, and, and the colors, they, they fade away. But the smell, the smell endures forever. And Hasbro, they, 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 they have expressed how much they, they value the, the smell of Play-Doh. Uh, a few things they've done. In, in 2006, and uh, their 50th year anniversary, uh, they launched a meter, the, the, the Play-Doh perfume. I kid you not, for $22.99, you can buy a bottle of the Play-Doh fragrance. Uh, they have a, a, a tagline. It's, it's for adults who seek a whimsical scent that is reminiscent of their childhood. But it doesn't stop there. In 2018, Hasbro announced that they trademarked the Play-Doh smell. Nothing else in the world smells like Play-Doh, and nothing else in the world is allowed to smell like Play-Doh. The VP of marketing said this about it. The scent of Play-Doh compound has always been synonymous with childhood and fun. By officially trademarking the iconic scent, we are able to protect an invaluable point of connection between the brand and fans for years to come. Here's what Play-Doh understands as well as the $30 billion fragrance industry. Smells have power to influence. Did you know the gospel has a trademark fragrance? Nothing else and no one else smells quite like it. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into its formula, its fragrance. In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is trying to explain what it means to be in Christ. What it means to serve Christ. You, you cannot rely on yourself and God at the same time. He's confronted with this reality even as he is engaging and exhorting the Corinthian church. Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 is, is one of many examples within this book where, where Paul is wrestling with this. What does it mean to live a life surrendered to God? That's the question. That is the struggle. And so Paul addresses this sum in verses 14 through 17. The fragrance of the gospel means that we are conquered by Christ. We are the aroma of Christ. And thirdly, we are dependent on Christ. Verse 14, we, we see what it means that we are, we are conquered by Christ. Paul uses vivid imagery in these verses. He, he talks about the triumphal procession. In this term, this, this image, it probably doesn't hit us the way it would have hit the Corinthians. When Paul uses the term, the triumphal procession, for a citizen familiar with the Roman Empire, a lot would have come to mind. Uh, they, they would have thought about hundreds of battles that the Roman Empire had won. They, they would have thought about the, the armies uh, when they would come home from battle, and there was a particular way that they would come home. They, they would put on a, a big spectacle as they returned from battle. This, this procession, this parade, 
would go through the streets of the city, and it would be led by the victorious general on a chariot, followed by his troops. And behind them would be the priests, burning incense to the Roman gods, so that even if you could not see them, you could smell them. And then they were followed by the chained-up, defeated captives that they just came from battle with. They were being led either to death or to slavery in public humiliation. It was quite a sight to behold. Everyone would have known about this parade, this procession. And Paul uses this to talk about what it means to be in Christ. But he talks about it in a way that's a bit provocative. It raises attention from the text because he does not place us in the chariot. He doesn't place us with the troops. He he doesn't place us with the priests. He places us with the captives, the conquered. The NIV translation makes it clear. It says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. To be in Christ means we're conquered. We are not the masters of our faith. We are not the captains of our soul. To be in Christ means you surrender your crown and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Almighty One. And I like how Paul says it in Philippians 2. He says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is expressing the supremacy of God. He is in the chariot, at the front, standing in victory. All things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I get really excited about that. And I wonder if you caught it in verse 14. Because in verse 14, look at the very beginning. Paul says, thanks be to God. Now, this is why I like preaching in chocolate churches, because they'd be somebody be shouting right there. Because, because Paul says, I'm conquered, and I thank God. Uh, Paul does something sometimes in his letters. You know, he, he's writing, and then he lifts up a little praise because the message starts getting real good to him. And I can imagine that Paul was, was thinking about his life. Uh, when he was on the throne of his life. Uh, he could have been thinking about how he said in 1 Timothy 1 that, that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of God. But the next sentence says, but I received mercy. See, right there, that was the cue. That was the cue right there. He said, I received mercy. Uh, Paul knew what his life was like before he was a captive of Christ. He was a captive of sin and death. And he's been set free. As the songwriter says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Then he says, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Is there anybody in here that knows what I'm talking about in this conquering love? Is there anybody in here that can thank God that he conquered you, that you were on your way to disaster, but he picked you up and he turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground. Hallelujah belongs to God. We're conquered. And Paul uses this imagery 
Because we are not set free to live how we want. We are set free to live how he wants. As Romans 6.19 says, we become slaves to his righteousness that leads to sanctification. We're conquered by Christ. And that's the only way we actually get to experience freedom. That's the gospel's fragrance. Secondly, not only are we conquered by Christ, but we are the aroma of Christ. We see this at the end of verse 14 and going into verse 15 and 16. Paul says, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere through us. Hallelujah. And then he he stays there for a bit and says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among the people. That's very important. When believers think about what it means to be influential in the world, what it means to be missional, we have to get the order right. The aroma is meant to influence, but Paul says the aroma is first to God. Westminster Catechism asks this, what is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our end. That is our aim. That is our purpose. The vertical with God is critical to the horizontal for God. When we worship, when we worship as we should, it spreads into the world. It is designed to spread into the world. But but here's the thing. You stink. Oh, yeah. When we worship, it is a sweet fragrance to God. A sweet fragrance to his people. Life to life. But to those who are perishing, to those who Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, think this is foolishness, weakness. We stink. Death to death. It reminds me of Axe body spray. <laughs> I, I, I was in high school when, when Axe body spray came to the U.S. And I'm still traumatized. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, but some of my classmates thought it was a viable alternative to bathing. Uh, they, they, they would come to school, and they would begin their day. They'd go to their locker, open it up, get ready for the day. And they would pull out that can, and just a cloud would, would overtake the hallways. Uh, you know, at gym class, you know, some of these guys would work up a good sweat, and we change in the locker room, and without fail, somebody would pull out that can of axe and just douse themselves with it. But, but the thing is, they still stink. Uh, no, no, matter, no matter what you do, no matter what you try to cover it with, if you stink, you stink. Now, to them, they thought they smelled great. But to me, I felt like my nose was being assaulted. (laughs) Same fragrance, different reactions. Paul says, to worship God means you stink to the world. And Barna recently released a study that said that 56% of Christians in America feel that their spiritual life is entirely private which hinders a willingness to engage in missions or evangelism or even praying or reading scripture publicly. 
We don't want to stink. And so we interact with coworkers or family members or friends, and we're insecure, and we're hesitant because we, we don't want to offend. And certainly it's possible to be offensive beyond the gospel's offense, but we can never really get rid of the offense of the gospel. And so for many of us, we're left wondering, how can I be effective in mission if non-believers think I stink, think the gospel stinks? And that's not an easy thing to parse out, but let me just say one thing here. There's a difference between influencing someone and changing them. Sometimes what we're struggling with is, how do I change these people? And the answer is, you can't. You can't change anyone. You can't change your classmates. You can't change your spouse. You can't change your friends. You can't change your kids. Lord, have mercy. And you know you can't change them because if we're telling the truth, you can't change yourself. I know I'm telling the truth. I wish I had an amen right there. We need the Holy Spirit working down in us to be changed. But you can be influential to anyone. How? How how do we influence? We show up. Be present. Aromas are influential by way of presence, not by way of pressure. You walk into JCPenney, you go into Macy's. I don't know why they put the fragrance right there at the entrance, but you walk in, boom. Those fragrances don't have to ask your permission. They go right in there. They're they're present. Just show up. Live for God. Work as unto the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in you and let the transformation happen in God's way and in God's time. Thirdly and lastly, not only does the gospel fragrance mean we are conquered by Christ, we're the aroma of Christ, but it also means we are dependent on Christ. Paul makes a big assertion in verse 15 and 16, to which he asks the rhetorical question, who is sufficient for these things? The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and that word for sufficient could also be translated competent, qualified, adequate. Who's really qualified to steward the mysteries of the gospel? No one. And yet Paul He goes into verse 17, and he alludes to this conflict between him and the the false teachers. Paul says, we are not peddlers of God's words. We're not trying to make a buck off of you. We're men of sincerity, commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So what Paul is addressing here is, is how unqualified people become qualified to serve Christ. It's weakness. It's weakness. We're going to keep coming back to this. Weakness. Not depending on self, but depending on God. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's 1 Corinthians 1. What Paul is getting at is that we are the aroma of Christ, but that aroma does not originate with us. It originates with Christ. As Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When Paul says, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ, he's expressing from where the aroma of his ministry, his life originates. We are in Christ. His sacrifice made it so that we could have a right to be with him and in him and found pleasing in the sight of God. So Isaiah 53 says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace was upon his head. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's the fragrance offering to God. That's what he is spreading across the world. And by his grace, by his grace, he has chosen us. To spread his fragrance in the world. Who is sufficient? But, but have we surrendered to that? Have we, have we built our lives upon his love? Because that's what it means to be in Christ. That, that, that's, that's our smell. The gospel has, has a trademarked fragrance. We can't spend time with God and not get it on us. Paul helps us to see that we get it on us by embracing the reality that we are a conquered people. And as we are conquered, he, he, he graciously allows us to be the aroma of Christ as we depend on him. And we must be in him so that we can, can get the fragrance of the gospel all over us. Author Rita Snowden tells a story about visiting a small village in Dover, England. She sat outside this, this local cafe, and as she was sitting, drink, sipping her tea, she, she got a whiff of this beautiful scent. It, it wouldn't go away. So she, she wanted to know where the scent was coming from. She assumed it was coming from the cafe that they were making something. And so when her waiter came by, she asked where, where this scent was coming from. And the waiter smiled and said, oh, it's coming from the people that are passing by you. Most of the villagers actually worked at this local perfume company. And when they were walking home, the fragrance would get all into the streets. As they spent hours in the presence of the fragrance that permeated their clothes and the streets of the community. Brothers and sisters, may it be so that we would be a people that would so saturate in the presence of God that it would be all over us and spread into the streets of our community. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, we confess 
that we don't measure up. That we come to you and we struggle to surrender and trust that you are actually Lord of all. And yet you persist with us. You, you saturate us even when we try to run from you. We are your aroma. Lord, would you help us to surrender? Help us to surrender that we might experience true freedom, true life, and that will permeate our world with the knowledge of the fragrance of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.